You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben. A big weekend for the shit-eating wild men coming yeah. up this weekend. Yeah. Because you got your UFC Fort Lauderdale. Woo! Party time, Fort Lauderdale. I hear they got a Hooters there. <laughs> yeah, I, I have it on good authority that there's a classic Hooters there. And you also got Bellator 220 featuring a pretty good card from uh, Scotty Cokes and the boys over in the land of Misfit Toys. So if you finally want to put your DAZN stream to, to work, this is the weekend you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying... Uh, People might have to make some hard choices, which we have a listener mail question coming up about that later in the show. But it does seem like this is one of those weekends where either you can just set it and forget it on the couch all weekend long if you want to. Or you might have to do some picking and choosing, depending on if you have a family or work obligations or anything at all in your life besides mixed martial arts fighting. And if you don't have anything in your life besides mixed martial arts fighting, but you do have a credit card. You're saying, this is a good weekend. Yeah. Not a bad weekend for you. Those streaming uh, services take Discover? Because those are the, those, that's like the first credit card offers you start to get as a young person is Discover. They start, they, they have a, uh, an alert set when anyone turns 18, basically <laughs> like. Uh, my wife still has Discover as like her main credit card. Man, the day that I paid off and canceled my, that's when I became an adult, was the day that I paid off and canceled my Discover card. I still think it, that it's a ruse on her part to not pay for meals when we go out because she's always like, oh, no, no, I got this one. This You always get it. This one's on me. Oh, they don't take Discover here. What do you know? Crafty. Yeah. That's a crafty move. Been going on 10 years with that. Still rocking the Discover card. Yep. Wow. In 2019. As an adult. She's a grown-ass woman. That's right. Two children. Discover card in the wallet. Fortunately for her, she knows someone who got that visa, son. You know That's what I'm right. saying? That's right. Uh, full disclosure, Ben, we tried to get Sir Nigel Longstock on the show this week. We yeah. thought it would be a good week for Master Tweet Theater. Now, you handled the communications, but I was told he was, quote, unavailable, which, frankly, I find hard to believe. Uh, we, we talked on the phone. And oh, you did? Well, it wasn't, again, you got folks yeah. over there with Discover cards. You're weird. talking to people on the phone. What year is it? We talked on the phone. And at some point during the conversation, an automated voice came on to let me know that this call was coming from a correctional facility in the Canary Islands. I see. Okay. So, I'm not saying that Sir Nigel was with Darren Till this Lost weekend. Last weekend in the Canaries? All I'm saying is that they seem to have run into some similar problems. Interesting. That's all we know right now. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. Also, I'm looking forward to hearing stories from uh, the, the inner circle of Darren Till, which... Kind of makes sense. You can see how Sir Nigel could get wrapped up in Darren Till's crew. without oh, yeah. any of, no, Neither of them would even realize how it happened. Yeah, he would be the uh, turtle from Entourage. <laughs> right, He'd be Darren Till's turtle. You know, they think they're hanging out with a real, like, proper gentleman, uh, a noted theatricalist, and he thinks he's found somebody who's going to give him some free drinks. There you go. <laughs> Next thing you know, everybody's in jail on the Canary Islands. Remember, if you want to support the show, we got cowboy astronaut cigarettes, t-shirts, and Dundasso t-shirts. 
available all the time, whenever you want them, on demand, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and picks up, pick up some CME merchandise. We got music this week from our guy, The Fifth Element, a music, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Twitter, at The Fifth Element, Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element, or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. Got to delineate it from those other fakers out there trying to act like they're The Fifth Element. That's right. Make sure you get the stuff from The Fifth Element Official. That's the word, the, with an A. Everybody knows that. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, for a guy who damn near talked himself out of it before the fight even started, Alexi Olnick almost pulled it off against Alistair Overeem on Saturday. Almost. And in round number two, Faraz Zahabi says that John Fitch is, quote, a cheating coward, which is handy, because he fights... Zahabi pupil Rory McDonald for the Bellator welterweight title this weekend. Number three, round number three, also this weekend, UFC on ESPN plus eight, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night 150, Romero versus Costa, live from Fort Lauderdale, goes down from Sunrise, Florida, featuring a main event pitting Jacare Souza against fast-dancing Jack Hermanson. But, you know, who even cares anymore? Fast dancing Jack Hermanson? I'm just trying it out. Okay. I don't hate it. I don't, I mean, I don't know if we're going to really start a movement of the people on this one, but it was fun this one time. Necromancing Jack Hermanson. Well, that's a whole different vibe. Standing in his B-boy stancing Jack Hermanson. <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun. That's the most important thing. Jack exterminating the vermin son, Hermanson. Why? Why would you do that? It's just, he's exterminating How the vermin. How many of these do you Son, have? That's it. I only have three. I don't <laughs> ran through you. them. I don't believe What's Jack Hermanson's actual nickname? The Joker. The Joker. That's right. That's that's not bad. Might as well stick with the Joker. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't feel like you wanted to look that up when you were on a roll. Well, after I got up. Necromancer, Jack Hermanson. <laughs> yes. I was like, I got to do a few more. You're not going to stop there. All that this week. Plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Matthew Ryder, who writes, Might be time to consider that there are more shitty people in MMA than not. That's a question he asks. That's a, Might it be Might time. it be time. As much as we like to imagine the athletes as beacons of good character and noble sacrifice, we have Darren Till stealing a taxi, then in parentheses in all caps, a fucking taxi, Ali Abdelaziz with links to literal terrorism, and Conor McGregor, uh, adversely engaging fans outside a club while in the news for rape allegations. Plus, you have Matt Hughes, Tony Ferguson, and BJ Penn, all with restraining orders against them for domestic concerns. And Penn, wielding a machete, and then in parentheses in all caps, a fucking machete at his neighbor. For context, I'm a criminal lawyer, and you know how many restraining orders I've seen in the past year? One. MMA has three active that we know of right now. I don't know, man. I just don't know. Wow. Okay. For some reason, when we get to the end of this and I find out that Matthew Ryder is a criminal lawyer and he is outraged a little bit about this, it puts it in a different light for me. I mean, where do you think Matthew Ryder is a criminal attorney, though? I'm, I think that one restraining order in the last year is, is kind of low, right? You're saying maybe he's not working the New York metropolitan court system? Just I have to ask questions. We have to assume Sir Nigel Longstock has like three against just him, right. operational as we speak. Right, and he's filed a few others for reasons he can't even totally recall. But, okay, 
one thing I would say about this just right off the bat, if we're going to frame it in terms of might it be time to consider that there are more shitty people than not, right. one thing about this is we talked about this last week, or may, I think it was last week, about the Dustin Poirier thing where we were like, stuff like good guy does good stuff is not a headline that gets a lot of traction. Exactly. It's easy to ignore. Plane lands safely. Right. Not news. Not a story. Whereas Darren Till arrested for stealing a fucking taxi is news. Yep. Like you're, and it's going to be clicked and shared. Danny Downs and I were talking about it in the trading shots column this week where he was talking about how that was, isn't tell you something that that's the most traffic story right now on your website. And I was like, man, how are you not going to click on that one though? Darren Till arrested in the Canary Islands for stealing a taxi after trashing a hotel room. You are not going to scroll past that one and not be like, well, let me find out what's going on here. So like those are really easily noticeable. And all the other stuff where it's just like people doing good stuff or even just doing neutral stuff, even just not doing bad stuff, much easier to ignore. Fighter successfully completes training camp. Right. Hopes to have a good showing against opponent. Fighter has... Nice, even-keeled relationship with wife. Sometimes they argue, but, you know, it's still respectful. And they go on with their lives, and they they find a way to make it work. I agree that there is... Right now, we're going through a cycle of a disturbing amount of kind of bad, out-of-the-cage news making headlines in the media. And that is not uh, insignificant. Right. You know, the stories of Matt Hughes, Tony Ferguson, and BJ Penn, I feel like... Uh, deserve to be treated with the gravity that they that they have and and you can't just like shrug them off as being uh you know not worth anything or or, you know not give them the kind of uh uh, attention that they that they cry out for but at the same time like it's unfair i feel like to ask might it be time to consider that there are more shitty people in mma than not i think that like when you deal with the sport you are are dealing with a population of people who are uh a different kind of person in many respects than maybe the average person. For starters, you have to think that it sounds like a good deal to fight another human being inside a steel cage in front of an audience. And there might be some stuff going on with some of these guys that is a result of getting hit in the head over and over again for many years. I agree. That that might change the way some of your brain chemistry works. We know for a fact that it does. and changes the physical structure of your brain and how it works. But let's not forget, if there's three people with restraining orders against them, there are scores of decent, hardworking mixed martial artists out there going through their daily toil, which is also not insignificant, by the way. Their daily toil is pretty fucking significant, really, when it comes right down to it. But they're doing it quietly, professionally, and we're not writing headlines about them. Right. Yeah, I mean, and that is something I thought about when I was doing a one of that feature I do sometimes where we look at some fighter's social media and try to figure out, look, what can you learn about this person based on what they're trying to put out there into the world on, on the internet. And I did one on Roxanne Modafferi before her fight. And it's an interesting look at like the working class of MMA fighter where you're just trying to get by basically. I mean, you're, you're making okay money and you're fighting as often as you can, but you're not like you still got a roommate and you got a job at the gym and once you're done with your training you got to rest up so you can come back for work later basically and you're just kind of getting by and it's no one's really paying attention to those people because you know if you were you, you'd probably be making a lot more money like but there's a whole level like a whole thick band right there in the middle of the MMA fighter fossil layer of those people who fall into that class and you don't pay any attention to them when they're just like doing good stuff 
or even just not doing bad stuff. Yeah. They also, you know, you asked, you made the point about maybe it's a certain kind of person who gets into this to begin with. It made me think, did you see the movie Free Solo? I have not yet, though multiple people, including you, have told me about it. It's, it's worth seeing. Uh, but, I mean, because it's a well-done documentary. But at one point they talk about this dude who is this rock climber and who likes to do these climbs where he doesn't have a rope protecting him. He could fall to his death at any time. And they put him in an MRI machine to look at his brain and to basically see how his brain reacts to different stimuli. And one of the things they find is that maybe his brain does not process fear the same way ours does. Yeah. And maybe it leads him to take these risks, not only because like the same triggers aren't going off to say like, hey, this is some scary shit you should watch out, but also that it creates this thing where you don't get this feeling from normal stuff, and in a way, you kind of crave it. You you need something that can give you the the jolt of this fear, and so it has to be something super extreme for you. And it's made me think that same way about MMA fighters, and not just necessarily in the sense of, like, fear and how they respond to that, but, you know, as we've talked about before, it's a weird thing to be like, I'm going to set an appointment to fight this person who I'm not mad at, and there's going to be a whole lot of people watching, and I'm going to walk out there with all these people watching and all this pressure on and somebody else out there wanting to hurt me, and I'm going to feel good about it. And that's one of the things you hear from MMA fighters is the fight is the reward. Yeah. Like, it's the training that sucks. It's yeah. getting to it that that is really awful. The fight is the good part. At, it's the dessert at the end of the meal, which is the exact opposite of how it would be for most people. So maybe whatever brain chemistry stuff you've got going on that allows you to feel that way about fighting in a cage could also translate to, you know, especially once you are starting getting damaged from being hit in the head over years and years and years, maybe you can more easily carry over into stuff like that. Next question this week comes to us from Jurgen, who writes, shit ton of emails about TJ Dillashaw and his dabbling with EPO come your way? Yeah, pretty much. And you <laughs> know what? It, huh? <laughs> we were actually remiss about uh, not d- discussing TJ Dillashaw's suspension for EPO on the CME podcast. We talked about it at length on the live chat on Wednesday and uh, on the power power hour hour on Friday, but which if you're not down with that, patreon.com slash co-main event, you got to get down with the, with the Patreon, but I didn't want to let this thing with TJ Dillashaw kind of slip into the ether without us even discussing it on the, the main flagship podcast here. Uh, One of the things that we talked about on the power hour, which I think is, is still, uh, kind of worth talking about for a couple minutes here is the idea that TJ Dillashaw tests positive for EPO. He was the UFC men's bantamweight champion. He give he willingly uh, gives up the title. He gets suspended for two years. He doesn't really even try to deny it. He, he puts out a series of Instagram videos where he sort of apologizes and says, he's going to come back better than ever. He made a mistake. He's going to take these two years off. People are kind of hammering him from all sides, or at least they were, at the time that this news broke and you and I had an interesting discussion on the power hour kind of about like, what is it about this instance with TJ Dillashaw that makes people be like, well, fuck this guy. Right. We're not necessarily going to say like Chael Sonnen is dead to us. We're not going to say we're absolutely done with Brock Lesnar. We're not going to say uh, we will never watch Vitor Belfort again. Alistair Overeem just fought. We were into that. A lot of people are like TJ Dillashaw, fuck this guy. Which is weird, right? Considering that this is not the first instance of uh, just plain doping, JPD, that we've seen in MMA. Far from it. We've seen a lot of these cases before. Why are people like, man, fuck TJ Dillashaw? Yeah, 
And we came up with a few different answers for why that might be. Some of it, I think, was the fact that it was EPO and the very nature of what the substance does for you was, as you said, just plain doping, but also fit really well with what he's trying to do there in the cage and his fighting style. And so people felt like you are definitely getting an advantage. There's no, it's no injury benefit. Like you're not recovering. You're just getting an unfair edge on your opponent. Yeah. And also, I think that a lot of it was that people didn't like T.J. Dillashaw just as a person before this. This was, uh, now you have a reason not to like him. And you didn't have to grapple with any doubt about whether it's, the hate is justified because he admitted to it. He didn't even give you, like we talked about on the this past week's Power Hour, Alistair Overeems, when he got caught with uh, high testosterone to epitestosterone level being like, unbeknownst to me. A doctor had mixed in some synthetic testosterone with my anti-inflammatory treatment, which, as you pointed out before, always hilarious to imagine the doctor saying to the nurse, hey, check out what I'm about to do. That's right. I got Alice Roverim <laughs> yes. in the waiting room yeah. right now. It's going to be hilarious. I'm mixing up this cocktail that I'm about to he could surreptitiously inject into this enormous man. He could crush my skull with his bare hands, and I think it's a good idea that I'm going to sneak in some some. Performance-enhancing drugs into his serum. You see this enormous cash cow sitting in the waiting room? I'm about to burn my bridges here in more ways than one. Uh, did you see the comments about T.J. Dillashaw from uh, Joseph Benavidez? I don't know that I saw those. As always, pretty reasonable take from Joseph Benavidez where he was like, well, I'm not going to pile on the guy basically because what can I say that hasn't already been said about him? But I'm not surprised. I'm just surprised it took him this long to get caught. Which kind of tells you that... And that's somebody who's been in the gym with him. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, I understand why fighters would have like this kind of, if not quite a code of silence, at least you don't want to be the narc who is snitching on teammates. Unless maybe you have a USADA deal that requires you to be such a narc. But you don't want to be that guy. And yet at the same time, how many fighters are there out there where their teammates all know? Everybody knows. Everybody who's in the gym with you, they know what you're up to. But... They got to kind of keep their mouth shut until you get actually caught and or until you move away from the team and you go to a different gym and then they can start talking about it. So TJ Dillashaw is going to be out for two years. I feel like I'm, I'm obviously not happy that the guy was taking EPO. It's, it's bad. I think that he deserves his punishment. But I'm also saying TJ Dillashaw sits out two years and comes back and we can be as reasonably assured as we can be uh in this sport that he is competing clean, I will be as willing to accept him back as we are with people like Brock Lesnar and Alistair Overeem and in many ways, Chael Sonnen. And who knows what could happen in two years. I mean, like a lot of crazy shit has happened in MMA just since the news dropped of Tilly Dills getting popped. So two years. By the time he comes back, we will be nearly two years into the future of fighting. So who knows what that'll even look like. (laughs) Good point. Next question this week comes to us from Eric Murphy. Here's your Roxanne Modafferi question, Ben. Oh. I feel like the UFC would have preferred Chevy Chanks the Younger not to have lost to Roxanne Modafferi in their blockbuster internet card that we all skipped work to watch live. But one Roxy did, and she has this nerdy charisma that is unique and feels totally genuine. Seems like she could be a hero to the bookishly scrappy types of the world if only a talent and a promotional entity stopped uh, just marketing one type of female fighter. And then there's the emoji of the chin scratching. Like, yeah. Hmm. Emoji. Mm. So hard question. Is there any discernible evidence to suggest that the UFC is pushing any female fighter that falls outside the bell curve of their preferred category? Yeah. This is a question that I've wondered about before too, especially because 
it seems like you have a pretty wide range. And but it's true, I think, of, of men and women fighters. And I used to think that it was the UFC can only imagine that one type of female fighter would be popular, and it's like traditionally attractive, preferably blonde. And yet the as time has gone by, I felt like I've come to feel, I guess, that it's less an intentional thing that the UFC is doing rather than it's part of the general like lack of vision about how, how to promote people and how to build up stars that we see in the men's division. And it's just carrying over into the women's yeah. division. I mean, I still think there is more of a case that you can make that, Hey, they, they think that they have this type of crowd. That's only going to be in this type of female fighter, but the same way we've talked about, like, why can't you make Gregor Gillespie into a thing could easily stem from the same root problem that why can't you make Roxanne Monteferi a thing? Do you think that the UFC has a significant blind spot to a large portion of its audience? Because it seems like, you know, if you follow this thread to its natural conclusion, that the UFC is only really marketing fights and marketing any fighter, really. Take Brock Lesnar as an example. Take Greg Hardy as an example. And I think that the way that the UFC uh, seeks to market some female fighters and not others fits into this category. It seems like they are marketing all of those people to a very specific kind of fight fan. The kind and of love face be, the pain. And it could be that that fight fan is the only fight fan that the guy who runs the company sees because it could be that he is also that kind of fight fan. And in the UFC, despite the fact that you have this new WMEIMG regime, and in many ways you have uh, different people in different uh, positions in the organization and, and maybe different influences now that you've ever had before, you still have to get through the bottleneck that is the one guy who you probably have to convince, like, hey, we should go out on a limb and like try to do some promotional stuff based around Roxanne Monteferi or based around Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes is a great example because you have someone who could make a very credible claim to being the best female fighter of all time right now. And you don't seem that interested in doing a whole lot with her in between fights. Whereas other fighters, yeah, you are constantly in this mode of trying to push them to like some other level of stardom. Again, though, you go back to the narrative about how women even ended up in the UFC. You had to convince the one guy. You yeah. needed the one person who could convince the one guy. And what convinced him? She was a Diaz brother in a beautiful fucking body. Yeah. Conventionally attractive Diaz brother that Dana White personally thought was cool. But you got to think, we've talked about this before, one of the great things that the ESPN plus and that more streaming stuff like that gives the UFC is a whole lot more data about who its fans are, where they are and what they're watching. You would think there's less excuse now to have a narrow perception of who your fans are than there has ever been. Yeah. And so maybe like, is it that the UFC is actually right? That that is the main fan like, or that the fans if it's not the, that exact person, that's what they respond to? Or is it just that, like, you're getting all this data, but then ultimately the guy at the top is like, no, man, our people, they love STEM. They love gaudy t-shirts. They love protein snacks. And that's about it. Have you ever actually seen a P3 protein snack? No. Because I saw one. At In the, the wild? Yeah, I saw one at the store the other day, just kind of like 
randomly came across it. I was like, oh, here it is, the P3 protein snack. You know what it was? What? It's a fucking Lunchable. (laughs) Well, you're kind of selling it to me now. I've never been more interested. Because you know who owns P3? Who? Oscar Mayer. Okay. Because they have that big uh, UFC sponsorship deal. So in the protein snack is like a piece of Oscar Mayer ham and a cracker and some other stuff. Wait, there's a cracker in the protein snack? Got to get some carbs in there, man. What else is in there? Like that I don't remember. But I just, it's like, think of what's in a Lunchable. That's what it was. I picked it up and I was like, the pe- the official protein snack of the Octagon is a fucking Lunchable. Well, first of all, if you don't think I'm showing up for the power hour with a couple of these protein snacks for us to try out, think again. Second of all, I guess my question would be the same question I realized my kids were asking when I when they seemed to get really into Lunchables after my wife bought them a couple sometimes. And then I was like, okay, you guys are into these. I'll buy you some Lunchables. And then I brought them home one day and they opened them up and they both were immediately looking for the Oreo. Oh. And then upon realizing that these Lunchables did not have an Oreo in them, they were like, fuck this. I was like, oh, you see the Lunchable as an elaborate, expensive Oreo delivery device. I didn't know there were Lunchables that had Oreos in Some it. of them do. Interesting. And they, what, did they get those at school, or did, did, the, did you guys buy them for them? We or? must have bought them for them, and I didn't even know to be looking for it. But all I'm saying is, if this P3 protein snack thing can work a cookie in there for me, now we're talking. Given what I've seen, that's not out of the question. What are the three Ps? Uh, power, protein, pack, Party pants. You're just you're gonna... saying p words, man. <laughs> I'm gonna circle back real quick here. Okay. I think that the UFC has probably figured out what makes the most money. It has a lot of experience in that, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way, and that doesn't mean that's the only thing that will make money, and that doesn't mean that you have to abandon that if you're gonna explore other a- avenues. You know, you can still. Promote Brock Lesnar, man. You can still promote Conor McGregor. Uh, you could also throw us a bone with Gregor Gillespie now and again, especially now that the UFC has so many goddamn ways to promote people. Like, put give Gregor Gillespie a fucking internet show where he goes fishing. And okay. I guarantee you that people would watch it. And see, but now I think we, or at least I hope that we are approaching a real litmus test for this. Because one of the things Dana White keeps saying about ESPN, these guys are great partners. These guys are going to make it so easy to build stars. They really get what we're trying to do. And they're really getting behind the product. So then, okay, when is the point from this ESPN deal? What is it, six months, a year in, two years, where we can look at it and be like, okay, have you done those things? Have you created more stars? Have you gotten a, a broader spotlight on more of your fighters? Or are you still doing the exact same thing where you're just planning for the next Brock Lesnar comeback, you know, biding your time until the next Conor McGregor fight? When do we wait to see the results from like, hey, it's a new day and everything's going to change before we decide, wait a minute, you're not really doing any of this stuff. Well, future of fighting, the future of fighting is about to be unleashed on us. So maybe after that, maybe the future of fighting is a Gregor Gillespie fishing show. Okay. Is TJ Dillashaw's hologram also suspended? Just, I need to know this for the future of fighting. That we're going to have to ask you, Sada, about that. Next question this week comes from Josh from Virginia. He writes, this weekend, I came to the realization that streaming services have already changed nearly every part of my MMA viewing habits. After skipping the entire UFC event, save for the main event that was so helpfully broken out by ESPN+. Now that's true. I circled back. After this thing was over, 
was able to watch only Alistair Overeem versus Alexi Olnick pretty easily. Yeah, they break that out, and then they break the main card out, and then the early prelims. I noticed that Rory Mack and John Fitch were going to be doing the damn thing next weekend in Bellator, a promotion I haven't seen hide nor hair of since Ryan Bader knocked out Fedor some six months ago. I'm sure Scotty Cokes gets a steady piece of boxing and maybe baseball fans' money from the people who run DAZN, but as an admitted longtime fan of MMA, it can't possibly be healthy for the sports uh, for the sport long term if the previously free, okay, sunk cost availability of a major part of it is now relegated to the largely unmarketed fringe of an overpriced niche streaming event. Likewise, ESPN plus pay-per-view, 1FC singular title fighting championship, etc. I'm fine with paying a subscription, but how does a casual fan maintain interest in these increasingly balkanized times? How does anyone bother keeping up with the UFC senior circuit over on DAZN? That's a long question, but I think it's an appropriate one, especially this weekend where Bellator is putting on what is like a pretty high-quality Bellator event. Best, best event in months that it's had. And yet, it's going to be exclusively on DAZN. And also, remember, I think we're now under the new DAZN pricing structure, right? Where if you have already been like a recurring monthly subscriber, you still get it for the same price. But if you're not, like if you're trying to get in now, your choice is either like pay for a year or whatever up front, or, you know, if you just want to get this one month of it without it recurring, it co- it's going to cost like 20 bucks, right? Yeah. And so in some ways you have a leveling of the playing field because all of the, the majority of the UFC's events and the majority of Bellator's events are going to be streaming only. In another way, it causes the consumer to make like some hard choices, right? Because now we are basically in an a la carte system of what MMA promotions do you want to watch. And in my opinion, that hurts Bellator maybe a lot more than it hurts almost any other promotion. Because with 1FC, what are you really giving up? If you're, you're not on broadcast TV in the United States anyway, just add the streaming service. People want to watch you, they can go find you, that's fine. I feel like Bellator was probably getting an actual added value from the fact that it was just on and free on the Paramount Network where you could either stumble upon it while you were flipping through the channels or, you know, if you had a free evening where, where surprisingly nothing else was going on, you could be like, oh, I'll watch Bellator. And then you would enjoy it and you might you be, could be out on a Friday night and look up at a sports bar and see it on TV. So is it going to hurt Bellator the most to just be the zone only? Yes. Yeah, I don't see how it doesn't. I mean, I think that there are like a lot of hardcore fans who are still either still have that DAZN subscription running. I know I do. I kind of get surprised every time I see it on the credit card statement. I'm like, oh yeah, nine ninety nine a month for DAZN. And I, but like this should be the kind of fight card where you should be able to bring people in, like to your streaming service. Yeah, that's why it's exclusive to your streaming service, right? And if you if you aren't able to do that, then what what's the plan? Because if this one doesn't do it, what do you have out there at the Bellator where you're like, okay, but this one, we'll pack this one, and that will bring all the people in. They'll think that it's worth the money. Because this is the kind of, like, if you're Bellator, this is maybe not the absolute best you can do, but it's on the high end of what you can. It's kind of like the best that you could regularly do without it just being like, oh, you know, one or two times a year kind of thing. Like, this is a pretty solid Bellator card. Yeah. And it not only hurts you just in the short term of like, can I get people to pay and get in the door for this one fight card? But if they skip this one and it's part of my welterweight tournament and I'm trying to have all these people on here who I'm trying to make into a thing. And then the next time they fight, 
you probably have even less reason to want to pony up your your twenty bucks a month for for Dazone or your ten bucks a month for like you know a year of Dazone or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think this is one of the few times where you're going to have Bellator two twenty, which is a solid card. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Bellator two twenty one is Michael Chandler versus one of the Pitbull brothers. So like. Normally, if you have a big Bellator card, the that next one's several... on Paramount and Zone. Oh, that one's yeah. on TV. Okay, so there you go. Uh, if you have UFC or Bellator two twenty only on the uh, Zone, maybe you're missing out on an opportunity to build a little momentum here. I don't well, actually, know. Actually, maybe the main uh, maybe the main card is only on the Zone. I don't know. Uh, we'll That's probably a bad that. sign. We well, don't know where we can even watch it again, though. To the the broader question about like streaming services and everything. It's true not just for the UFC. It also seems to be true for Bellator. A lot of people seem to be done with the growth phase of MMA. They are in the cash-out phase of MMA right now. They are not concerned. We're trying to get a whole bunch of new fans and trying to get the audience size a whole lot bigger. We're done doing all that. What we're trying to do now is get that money. Take the audience that exists, turn them upside down like a child in a cartoon, and shake them until everything falls out of their pockets. Related question here from Marcus McGahee. He writes, Around September or so of last year, I subscribed to UFC Fight Club. Basically, this involved paying about $150 in exchange for first access to tickets as well as a pair of UFC pay-per-view codes. Long story short, I had planned to redeem the second of my codes for UFC 236. Then, the ESPN deal materialized uh, seemingly ex-Nilo. Why does this matter? Well, the codes are only redeemable for the UFC app. I've contacted the UFC Fight Club multiple times since the deal was announced, and as far as I can tell, they don't have a plan to make it up to subscribers. Although this problem has been discussed ad nauseum in the Fight Club forum, man, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> the Fight Club forum? It has received. It has not received much media attention. Would you please bring this issue to light? Otherwise, I worry that nothing will be done. Now, first of all, this motherfucker dropped some Latin in here. Yeah, and I kind of had to go I, over it, kind of stutter over it there. Out of, out of nothing. Uh, we have do we have a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of attorneys at law writing us emails here? Maybe, and also he worries that nothing will be done unless we discuss this on the podcast. I don't want to set Marcus McGahey's expectations too high here, right? Just because we talk about it on the podcast doesn't mean that the gates are going to open and the UFC is going to, uh, you know, give everybody well, their go, Fight Club money back. You or go whatever. up the ladder, you try getting some some news made by uh, kicking up a stir in the Fight Club forums. That doesn't work. You go to the next level up. It's a CME podcast. After that, uh, Supreme Court. Yep, I think that's you, how it goes. That's right. It's yes. a three-step. It's the same way they uh, got like Plessy v. Ferguson. Is I'm Fight sure Club forums, CME, Supreme Court. That while Dana White is out on his jog listening to the CME, he's going to hear this and be like, you know what? Let's give the Fight Club people their money back. Okay, but to Marcus Mahe's question, I saw this email. I looked into it. I sent an email to, to the UFC to ask about, like, hey, what's up with this? Do you, do you know what this guy's talking about and what your plan is here? And I received a pretty uh, prompt answer where they said, basically, um, yeah, it's been an issue because they basically took these people's money for the Fight Club and gave them these prom promo codes that they could use for, for pay-per-views, you know, among other things that they get for being Fight Club members. And then... You get the deal with ESPN Plus where all pay-per-views have to go through ESPN Plus and then you either have to like give them all these promo codes that you've given out and be like, hey, you guys have to quickly figure out a way to honor these, which as we talked about, ESPN Plus hadn't even figured out how to make it so that you could buy the pay-per-view through the app directly yet. So maybe some of that was a little bit rushed and they weren't totally prepared. 
you can see how the promo codes might be a little bit lower priority there, or you have to like, send out a bunch of new promo codes. But from what they told me, they hope to have a fix in place in time for UFC 237, which is, would be a pretty prompt fix, like especially considering how quickly this whole ESPN Plus pay-per-view situation came forward. But they also felt like, oh, I don't know why they feel like it's only being discussed in the Fight Club forums. We felt like we had done a good job communicating with them. I told them, like, well, hey, maybe you want to go to the Fight Club forums and talk about it. But, yeah, so they do seem aware that that is a problem, and they seem like they're trying to fix it. I'll be interested to know if they do, because I would be pissed, too. If you paid money to be this fight, you're, if you're in the fight, the UFC Fight Club, you are exactly who we're talking about when we're saying these people maybe don't deserve your yeah, money. Yeah. Because you're giving them money and in exchange just for the the opportunity to buy tickets, the opportunity to give them more money quicker than other people can. And you get these pay-per-view codes. But yeah, uh, you can see how the UFC made that decision quickly about the going through ESPN+. Plus. They're mad at the cable yeah. and pay-per-view providers. They want to do something quickly. And then there's a bunch of mess to clean up afterwards. Almost like there's a bottleneck of just one guy. <laughs> Almost like See, that. But I stand corrected here now, though, because it turns out you got a problem with the UFC. Email Ben Folks. Whatever your problem is, if you're sitting at home out there right now, if you've been wronged by the UFC, email <laughs> Ben Folks. He's going to shoot a new email over to somebody at Zufa and they'll take care of it. I'll see you. what I can do is the best I can do. But yeah, um, they, they at least did seem like aware of this problem. And yet, though, this will be an interesting test because remember one of the things that we were told right after the UFC agreed to this deal with ESPN Plus was, well, hey, now we can offer all kinds of deals and packages and discounts and things like that. And one of our skeptical first questions was, yeah, but will you? Because it's true that now that you're only going through this one partner of yours and not a whole bunch of different pay-per-view providers, you could if you said, like, we will offer you, like, hey, you're a good customer. You buy four pay-per-views and then we'll throw in the next two or whatever you know you could buy like a just a pay-per-view package that gets you through there and cuts you a deal if you're one of these people who's gonna watch every ufc pay-per-view no matter what will you be cutting those deals though is the question is this all questions considered we're acting like this is just the whole show just doing listener mail here but we got one more one more yeah you don't even know about it i don't know about it It's not not on my list from matt webb Y'all guys have to spare a few words for the other Randy Couture for his Hall of Fame and introduction. Rich Franklin has been and always will be a capital G guy. I was surprised to find out that Rich Franklin was not already in the UFC <laughs> Hall of Fame. See, what happened is Randy Couture was in the UFC Hall of right, Fame. Right, right, okay. And you thought... And I was like, one guy who constantly tweets out, it retweets inspirational sayings is already in the UFC Hall of Fame. I just can't remember which one. Now, this, I was gonna... Save this for either my just sayings and stuff. Uh, yeah, but, oh, I stepped on a cat. Uh, I'll go ahead and bring it up now, though. Did you see the thing? I saw the MMA fighting, and then Danny Downs and I ended up discussing it. Where Rich Franklin was like, I don't know if he was asked or if he brought it up. I think he was probably asked, like, could you have been a star? Could you have become a guy in today's UFC the same way that you did in the UFC of, like, the mid-2000s? And he was like, honestly, I don't think I could. Like, I think, like... I'd have to talk a bunch of trash and do a bunch of stuff, and that's just not me, and I wouldn't do it. And especially, you know, it's how crowded the right. calendar Rich, is. Rich Franklin would just be another guy in a pair of white 
UFC fight shorts and yep. some Franklin down the side yep. fighting on the ESPN plus prelims. It would be a, a story. Oh, this guy is also a math teacher in Ohio. And like John Anik would talk about it on the broadcast, but it wouldn't be a big time thing that they would build around. It wouldn't be a thing like, all right, we've got this guy. We're going to try to manicure this kind of path to show him off in high profile situations because he is exactly what we feel like we need. He'd just be another guy, right? Yeah. And Rich Franklin did really come along at exactly the right time yeah. when they like they needed a math teacher. They who did. Who could be a really good fighter and be like, look, the people who do this are not bru- brutes. Exactly. They're normal people. They're exactly. Rich Franklin. That was the he was the answer to the problem of the time, or one of the problems of the time, which was every time the UFC would try to get a little more press for itself, you'd have a bunch of like old school sports writers and boxing people and whoever being like, it's just a bunch of tattooed bar bouncers who are skinheads kicking each other in the nuts. And you needed this guy who's a high school math teacher and he's really polite and soft-spoken and he can make a a good case for the entire sport. Every time you put the camera on him, he's not going to embarrass you. And he can also go out there and kick some people's ass. Yeah. You, You definitely needed him. And yet the times have changed now to the point where he would not even get noticed today. Yeah, I'm not going to say Rich Franklin couldn't be a star in today's UFC because Rich Franklin was a real good fighter. And chances are, you know, if he came along today and had the skills of today and he won a bunch of fights and was good enough to compete for the UFC middleweight title, we would know know who he was. But uh, it would have been a lot harder, as it is for everyone, frankly, at this point, to get noticed. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's Listener Mail. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us while you're there. Go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, leading up to Al Overeem versus Alexi Olnick, Al Overeem seemed confident of a win, and Alexi Olnick seemed relatively confident of a win. For Alistair Overeem. <laughs> He's going to go out there and do his best. Yeah. I can't actually remember. I was thinking about this after the fact. I don't know if I remember leading up to a fight, a guy kind of being as honest and matter of fact as Alexi Olnick was leading up to this fight of being kind of like, I didn't want to take this fight, but I am a professional. I have trained with Alistair Overeem before, and he kind of worked me. And I don't know what I'm going to be able to get done out there in the cage, but like, Basically, I'm going to take the paycheck, and this is the fight they offered me, so this is what we're doing. This is my job, is what he said. Yeah. And I wondered how that would carry over into his approach into the fight itself. And I was a little bit surprised, because when you're watching this fight, he has some success on the feet. He sure does. Early on. He has the grappler's success on the feet, where you're out there throwing these punches that are so absurd that you're throwing like three and four of these huge loop and haymakers that one of them gets through. As the, the more talented striker is having his WTF moment in his striker brain, where he's like, the thing that this guy's doing doesn't even make sense. And he just hit me in the face. Yeah, well, you're looking down at his legs, and he's like, okay, here comes the takedown. And then that, that right hand comes over the top. And then Overeem has done that thing where every once in a while, you know, he can get tagged. Yeah, he can. And when he does, he'll sometimes just cover up and wait for it to be over. 
and that can be a bad idea against some people, and then against other people, it actually works out for him. He did it here. He kind of got knocked over against the fence. You can see his mouthpiece getting all knocked askew in his mouth, but he's just going to cover up, and he's going to wait for you to be done. Yeah. And did Alexi Olnick kind of do the Kelvin Gastelum here at one point where he, like, he had Overeem, I don't know if you want to say on the ropes, but, like, hurt, and he's backed up against the fence, and Olnick, like, instead of pouring on the punches... Shot for a takedown. Well, you could see how coming into this fight, he would have maybe told himself, hey, this is your thing, man. You're the guy who submits people. I mean, in fairness, I guess we need to say the very first thing he did in the fight was pull guard, right? (laughs) Wait, well, but I mean, early on, it seemed like, yeah, the ground stuff maybe isn't going to go that well for you. And so then when he does land that right hand, you're thinking, okay, but maybe this. And yet you can hear Paul Felder calling it from a mile away where he's like, he keeps, when he's looking for a takedown, he's putting his face right in clinch knee range. And that is going to be a bad idea for you. That's going to be a problem against Alistair Overeem because that's one of the places where he is the absolute most dangerous. And if he can catch you coming in there, like he's really good kind of at stymieing that initial takedown effort. And then he's got you right where he wants you to start landing some knees. And that's basically what ended up happening to Alexi Lennox. And... If you could maybe feel like if you weren't so single-mindedly focused on taking Alistair Overeem down, where, as you said before, you weren't able to submit him in training, you weren't able to do a whole lot against him in the grappling department, then maybe you would have had a better chance. And yet at the same time, if you were in Alexia Linux corner and you were sitting there telling him like, all right, here's what we're going to do against Alistair Overeem, stand and bang, bro. Like, you, you should probably... Be fired. Yeah. Like, you should not be offering advice to profile. He would have looked at you like, what am I paying you? Your advice is that I should go out there and trade right hands with Alistair Overeem? Like, you can see how he must have told himself, like, dance with who brung you. Yeah. And as Paul Felder noted, it also didn't take Alistair Overeem all that long to figure out where Alexi Olenek's head was. Because he started firing off those knees uh, pretty quickly. Tagged him with a, a string of them, really, until the one that finally... Crumpled him, put him on the mat, and then Overeem follows up with punches to get the stoppage in four minutes and 45 seconds. It did seem like when the end came for Alexei Olenek that he would, there was a moment where he was like, well, I gave him my best shot. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I did, I, you know what? I did better than I thought I was going to do, but now we have come to the end. Yeah. And I don't know. If you're... Going up against Alistair Overeem in his fight where you, you've you experienced firsthand what the guy's like. You know it's going to be a tough fight. You land that, that punch early on. You do a little bit of damage. He knew you were there. You know? You didn't just get bulldozed in the fight. Do you go away from that feeling like, all right, well, hey, maybe now I can get back into the fight in the range of guys where I'm more comfortable. Maybe so. Maybe. And it seems like Alistair Overeem might feel the same way. As we talked about on Friday's Power Hour, here you have Alistair Overeem about to turn 39 years old. He's done a whole lot of living in his MMA career. Uh, As we said last week, you would need probably three different actors to play this guy in a biopic about his fighting career because he's been through so many different body styles and body types. He was supposed to fight Alexander Volkov in this fight. He gets this win over Alexi Olenek, which we are told far and wide is, quote, an important heavyweight win, whatever that means. Overeem's not out here calling out Francis Ngannou for a rematch. He's not calling out Junior Dos Santos. He's not calling out uh, even Derek Lewis. He's like, I would still very much like to fight Alexander Volkov. So has Overeem adjust his own, adjusted his own uh, personal goals or you know how he sees himself in the sport that he seems to be kind of 
chiefly concerned with maybe getting himself a few wins here against middle of the pack heavyweights. Maybe, and if so, I don't know if you could blame him too much. We One of the things we talked about over him in the Power Hour is that he has always had kind of a very clear idea about what he wants to do, where he wants to be going next. And sometimes it was really ambitious, like when he was like, I'm going to fight Fedor and then I'm going to win the K1 World Grand Prix. And it's like, well, okay, that's a lot to pack in. But in times like these, I can see how, as we discussed before, the heavyweight division right now is in a holding pattern. Yeah. You... You don't really know exactly what's going to happen in the next six months there. And could be a lot of different things. What you really want to do is stack up some wins if you can, stay busy, and stay ready in case the phone rings. And if he goes out there and beats Alexander Volkov, then, you know, you're looking at three wins over basically the Eastern European part of the heavyweight roster. Sergei Pavlovich, Alexei Olenek, and Alexander Volkov will be his three fights. Right. That's the three most recent fights, if that's what happens. But it's still, it could be, you know, you could be looking at three straight stoppage wins, which is not too bad. You know, maybe if other people aren't available, maybe you get the call at the right moment. Then again, though, if you look at Alistair Overeem and who he's already fought and stuff, who is he supposed to pick on? Yeah. It could well be that, as you say, Alistair Overeem is just kind of trying to stay relevant while we trundle through this few months where we're trying to figure out exactly what is going on. And that's not a terrible strategy, I guess, if you are Alistair Overeem. He's got two wins in a row now uh, over, as I said, Alexei Olnik and Sergei Pavlovich after win- or losses to Curtis Blades and Francis Ngannou. Uh, if he does go out and get that win over Alexander Volkov to take him to uh, three in a row, as I said, you're never totally out of it in the heavyweight division, especially not if you're a guy like Alistair Overeem, who, as long as you're around and healthy, they could throw you in a title match pretty much any time. All it would take is a one twisted knee. And what's the worst case scenario that you get to keep fighting guys who you feel very comfortable you can beat and making pretty good money to do it because you're into a pretty good contract? Like, that's not the worst thing to happen if you're in your late 30s, still out here doing it after 20 goddamn years as a professional. Did you notice he went back to the Demolition Man? He was announced as uh, Alistair the Demolition Man over him for this fight. Has he ever stopped being? Did he go well, to the Ream? Well, he was the Ream for okay, a while. Yeah. yeah. Now he's back to the Demolition Man. But where's the hammer? Where is the hammer indeed? If you know where Alistair Overeem's Thor hammer is, please let us know because we've been wondering. Hit up the tip line that we don't actually have and let us know where's the hammer. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, did you see this video that I saw on MMA Junkie of Michael Chandler doing those pull-ups? Yes. It's like he's trying to take Tony Ferguson's title from him. He's trying to pounce on the stupidest workout in MMA while Tony Ferguson is going through his personal issues, which I don't know that T.T. Ferg will appreciate that. Michael Chandler is doing a thing where he does a pull-up and he has a, a, a friend with him yep. who throws a medicine ball mm-hmm. up over the top of the pull-up bar and uh, Michael Chandler kind of like he's a volleyball player almost sets it back to him. Yeah. Like goes up over the top of the pull-up bar, sets it back, grabs the bar, does a pull-up, hits the medicine ball over the bar again. What the fuck, man? Like that's – what are you doing? What is that for? I do some stupid shit. As everyone knows, I go to CrossFit and we do dumb stuff all the time. We don't do that. I'm not throwing myself up over a a chin-up bar so I can uh, volleyball set a medicine ball to my partner. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? What muscle group are you working when you do that? Explosiveness. Explosiveness in the shoulders, I guess. Um, 
I made a a similar point in my video about it because oh sure yeah we've all watched your video uh, no we haven't my my point video. my point in the video was basically is this the speed bag we don't no it's a different video no. whoa has the speed bag been discontinued it's been discontinued I know that's very hard news for you to hear it's hard for me to believe months after it has the such fact. a great name uh, my point basically was you are you know you're baiting Tony Ferguson yes yeah you're absolutely and. He's going to see this. He's going to see you doing this thing, and he's going to think, but could a yoga ball or like a monster truck tire be involved somehow? And whatever happens after that is going to be on you, Michael Chandler. I, I just figured this out. Somebody paid Michael Chandler to do this. Somebody who has a vested interest in seeing Tony Ferguson injure himself in training paid Michael Chandler to make this video. Well, that is... It's the only answer that makes any sense. It's, well, that's true. That is true. Ben, what's your are you fucking getting me for this week? You mentioned uh, Sergei Pavlovich. Yeah. Uh, do you I see? I did mention him. He, you know, he got his first UFC win in this one. Absolutely demolished Marcelo Golm. Do you see that? No, nah, I didn't see that one. It was on the main card. And, you know, if you, they helpfully separated it out there for you from the prelims. Are you he, saying it's he, worth my time? Should I go well, back? It'll only take you about 66 seconds. Okay. He was goes, it the co-main? No, it oh. was... The pre-co-main. The co-co-main. Yeah. And he goes out there, just runs through him. And I was looking at his record afterwards and realizing, like, okay, he was, like, 12-0 and 0 when he made his entry into the UFC, had to fight Alistair Overeem, hmm. who still has, like, four more losses in his career than Sergei Pavlovich has total fights. Are you fucking kidding me? You go, for, you have to, you get your contract in the UFC after beating Baby Fedor, mm-hmm. uh, and then they're like, "All right, yeah, good news, you're in the UFC. You're gonna fight Alistair Overeem. He has sixty fucking pro fights just in MMA, not counting all his kickboxing shit. Good luck, Sergey Pavlovich, who you know been fighting since 2014. Wow, okay, that does paint a picture. And goes in there, loses to Alistair Overeem. All right, and then what a what a breath of fresh air it must be after that. They're like, hey, do you want to fight Marcelo Golm? Yeah. Yes, I do. Yes, please. Can I fight him twice? Fucking kidding, kidding me? You. It's hard out here for a heavyweight, man. Hey, Sergey, congratulations. You might have heard of your next opponent. Alistair Overeem, does that ring a bell at all? Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Ben, as we talked about at the start of the show, Bellator 220 this weekend being headlined by Rory McDonald versus John Fitch. Lead up to this fight, unexpectedly bitter. You got Faraz Zahabi out here talking about uh, John Fitch's recent positive PEDs test, calling him a coward, saying that uh, he's always been a cheater. Just today, John Fitch, uh, I believe, went on the MMA hour with Luke Thomas and... uh, he fired back a little bit. He said, I don't care. I don't live my life caring what other people think. If you're going to go through your life worrying about what other people think, you're going to be a loser, says John Fitch. He also talked a little bit about his decision to use PEDs. Uh, I want to read a little bit of that because... Yeah, I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah, it's a little bit illuminating. He's talking about uh, he used 
testosterone leading up to his fight against Rusmar Paul Harris. I believe that was in World Series of Fighting, correct? Yes. Okay, he says, that short period of, my, of time, I broke, and I thought I was missing out on something. I fell down a spiral of depression. I was struggling with my personal family life and finances. I got to a place where you could see other guys around you. I found out about guys who fought, who were on TRT, the therapeutic exemptions. I learned about Vitor Belfort's testosterone being covered up and him being allowed to compete anywhere. There were rumors of other guys that happened for also. And then I was taking a 70% pay cut, at least 70% pay cut from going from the UFC to World Series of Fighting. So I was thinking, like, why am I holding myself to this standard and making less money and my family struggling? Just all kinds of excuses. Any kind of excuse to rationalize why it was going to be okay to cheat against a cheater like Pal Harris. Okay. I mean, I guess I like that... I can see why somebody would come to that conclusion. I also like that he understands that it was a rationalization for something that he had decided to do anyway. But I can also understand how you'd feel that way. That because I remember, and I I've told before about how you know playing uh, college football at a very small like Division three college where there was no drug testing, and then I was naive enough that it never even really occurred to me that dudes there were doing steroids until one of my teammates was like, "Dude." Our our strong safety is a walking, like, lat muscle. What do you think that is? And I was like, I don't, I don't, I just thought he was, he worked really hard in the gym. And he's like, yeah, no, he and the defensive end who just set, like, a school bench press and squat record, like, these dudes are all on steroids because they know they're not going to be tested. And there is a moment there where you're kind of like, wait a minute. Like, once you hear about it a little bit, then you're like, have I been completely naive to this whole thing all this time. Everybody around me is doing it and I'm not on the fair playing field. I thought I was when I'm competing with these guys. And so therefore like the only sane thing to do is to do it too. Like I can see how you would come to that, especially when you're a little later in your career, like John Fitch was by that point, And you're going like, what am I doing? Am I, yeah. tr- am I trying to like get back up to a certain level? And if I am, how am I going to do it? without some help if these other guys are doing it with help and especially I'm getting older you know what's the point even right especially when you see as he mentions here other people in the sport uh who are having success and people who are probably you know having more success than you are and getting paid more than than you get paid uh and you know that they are getting a little extra help I feel like the same with TJ Dillashaw it's kind of like the most human thing in the world to try to be like okay fine, I'll do the thing that all of these other people are doing. Even though, as John Fitch says here, he kind of, he knew it wasn't right, even as he was doing that. Um, So here he rolls into Bellator to fight Rory McDonald. He's coming off the win over Paul Daly that he had uh, at Bellator 199 last May. He's on a five-fight win streak here, including wins over Yushin Okami and Jake Shields during that run. So uh, he rolls in to fight Rory McDonald, who was one of the big free agent signings uh, when Bellator was out here taking on a lot of new talent. Seems like that's slowed down a little bit. Yeah, well, there's only so much new talent you can find, maybe. He uh, went 2-0 and immediately after coming to Bellator in 2017, 2018, and then, of course, lost to Gegard Mousasi when he moved up to try to fight for the middleweight title. McDonald comes back down to 170, his more natural weight class, against a super tough but you know, maybe a little bit long in the tooth guy like John Fitch. Interesting to see John Fitch's 31-7-1 is his MMA career, which is still not too shabby, even as a guy who is uh, 
you know, fallen off the pace of being a, a, a world-class title contender in the last couple of years. Um, this is a smacks to me of like a classic Bellator fight. Like a couple of former UFC guys, McDonald is a champion, a guy that you want to promote. Fitch, maybe a guy who's dangerous, but a little bit on the older side. Just a, a classic Bellator welterweight title matchup. Well, and also as part of your welterweight tournament, this is where things are supposed to be starting to get interesting, right? Because you're bringing us the excitement kind of that we got from the heavyweight tournament, although it seems a little more meaningful because you actually have some more relevant and good welterweights to offer us. So now you get the the champion involved there and the belt, we're told, goes up for grabs throughout the tournament, right? So like it could conceivably just pass around like if somebody new wins every single time. And I don't know. I mean, like, I'm into a fight like this, especially in the context of the tournament. Way more so in the context of the tournament, in fact, than if it were just a Bellator title fight. Yeah, it's a cool wrinkle to have uh, McDonald defending his title throughout the tournament, which, frankly, you need a shit-eating wild man like Rory McDonald, who's going to be like, yeah, let's do that. Why not? Yeah, just bummed he couldn't fight in the heavyweight Grand Prix. That's right. He's he's like, all my fights are going to be title defenses anyway. Might as well do it through the tournament here. Have you seen the odds for this fight? I have not. What would you guess they would be? Four to one. In favor of Roy McDonald? Yes. You are absolutely correct. Okay. See? You should be an odds maker. Absolutely. Yes, you are okay. correct. I should be. Once we start making all this money from the 165, which I'm just, uh, let's just go ahead and assume we already have the money. Are you pre-planning to gamble away all the money from the 165? No, we pivot okay, to being pivoting. an online sports book. There you go. We might have to move to the Cayman Islands for this. Um, but you're already going to have your stuff packed up anyway. This Instead of moving it a couple blocks away to a new house, let's just move it to Cayman Islands. Okay. We'll Trash open a, a hotel uh, room, steal a taxi. That's the Canary Islands. Okay, same thing to me. Uh, we'll open up an online sports book, and you'll you'll handle all the handicapping. Done. Done. The 165.com still sounds more reputable than Bodog.com. <laughs> uh, if you had $20 you never wanted to see again... And you really like John Fitch's chances here, however, you could get plus 325 on John Fitch. I don't think I like his chances no, all that much. Neither do I, really. I mean, he could surprise us. Also on this card, Benson Henderson has a fight. You got the rematch, Phil Davis versus Liam McGeary at light heavyweight. Uh, women's flyweight world title fight, McFarland against uh, Arteaga. So if you were going to watch a Bellator card, this is, this is a pretty good one. Pretty good one to watch. But again, like Except- we said... You got to go sign up for DAZN. However, if you consider it to be a zero-sum game, you can get DAZN for the same price that you have the fightpass.com. Just saying. Right. Well, and as we already established, you don't really need the fightpass.com anymore. Unless you're such a shitting wild man, you're like, well, I can't miss Alaska Fighting Championships. Right. I actually just canceled my Fight Pass subscription. Sad day. Sat down yeah. over at the UFC offices, I'm sure. So maybe I'll just roll that money over into the zone. What do you think? Do you think somebody is looking at like the printout of that day's gains and losses, staring out a window and being like, we lost Chad Dundas? No, I'm sure that there's an alert that goes off <laughs> whenever I cancel my fight pass. Whenever you cancel it? Yeah. Uh, you're going head-to-head against the UFC here, though. Yeah. And the UFC is on ESPN. Like, it has the... The prelims on ESPN2, like early prelims on ESPN2, and then uh, the middle prelims on uh, ESPN, then the main card on ESPN. I and believe, didn't they move this one to uh, 
Isn't this UFC Fort Lauderdale card now an ESPN Plus thing? Is it? Yeah, they moved it. It was supposed to be on ESPN originally, but they uh, converted it to an ESPN Plus thing after they had to do the shakeup of the card. Wait, hold That's on. That's my understanding. When the when the main event switched up so many times, they eventually were like, you know what? This isn't good enough for the TV anymore. Send it to the Plus. I believe that's what happened. Wow. Well, that might be something we talk a little bit more about. Oh, wait, maybe no. Maybe I'm not. Maybe this is still going down on ESPN. I was, I'm confused. I think it is ESPN. Okay. You're right. You're right. But, I mean, I would consider it super great news for me if I was Bellator and I heard that it had been moved to ESPN+. Plus Because it seems a little tough. Like, you were still just trying to get people used to the, the zone thing. The pricing structure has just changed up. If somebody is like, okay, I hear Bellator has this thing going on this weekend. It sounds like a good card overall. Okay, you got me. Let me find out what the zone is. Let me figure out like how to, to get in there and watch this stuff. And then I find out, wait a minute, I either got to sign up for like a long-term deal or it might be 20 bucks. Like, is this a $20 pay-per-view basically? Like, would you consider it a value as $20 pay-per-view? Probably not. Which, again, like I said, one of the things that I thought uh, Bellator initially had going for it was that you could just kind of stumble upon it or uh, pick it up whenever you wanted to when it was over on the Paramount Network. And so then that leads us to the question of, like, if you are trying to move forward as your Bellator, and are you thinking, like, you know what, we've decided the hardcore people who either do think that this is worth it or they just never stop the DAZN thing and they... You know, there's no way they're going to possibly miss Roy McDonald versus John Fitch in the welterweight tournament. Have they just decided that those are our people and that's kind of it? Yeah, I think everyone has decided that, right? In some ways. You mean the UFC has also decided? Yeah, like the sport-wide, that's kind of where we are right now. That's kind of sad. I agree. But that's where we are. You going to watch this one? I'll figure out a way to to watch it at some point. I don't have DAZN. Maybe I'll roll my Fight Pass money in there and watch DAZN. And then the alert's going to go off. They're like, we got you out done this. Yeah, that alert in a different building. Yeah, it's next door. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Ben, as we record this, we're not sure where we're supposed to watch UFC on ESPN, Jacare versus Hermanson. There's a story from Bloody Elbow from a week ago that says that the main card was moved from ESPN TV to ESPN+. The Wikipedia page still refers to it as UFC on ESPN3. MMA Junkies, Junkies listings has it going down on ESPN+. Google's listings has it on ESPN+. It's a fluid situation. Let's just say that. I think we're on ESPN+. Plus. I think the prelims, I'm looking at the schedule on the ESPN Plus website. Uh, early prelims are available on both ESPN Plus and ESPN2, it seems. Uh, regular prelims, or regular prelims, God, it's, it's, you know, they get you in this weird stuff. The, the prelim prelims are on ESPN, and then we move to... ESPN Plus for the main card. So this is ESPN Plus 8, not UFC on ESPN 3. It was originally supposed to be UFC on ESPN 3 and then got moved. Which, though, is interesting because if a change in the main event can cause it to change platforms, you're kind of telling us that 
some things like the the TV platform is better than the streaming platform. Like you have to be you have to reach a certain level to get on TV with ESPN. And if you're not at that level or if the card changes, the card is often subject to change as we know in this sport. Then you get knocked down to the plus level. Same kind of problem that the UFC face sometimes with the fight passes. You're telling us like, hey, fight pass is great. These fight pass events are real events. But also, if they are less than, if it's like some stuff that isn't good enough ends up on the streaming service, then you are definitely sending us the message that like, this is the lowest tier. Well, I feel vindicated, frankly. Well, this is all about you, so let's make sure we we don't forget that. Because we went through the whole intro to the show talking about this as an ESPN Plus event. Now... After some confusion, I feel like we're, we've settled back there. In case, in case you're uh, curious, at 8 a.m., according to the schedule on the ESPN uh, Plus website, 8 a.m. on Saturday, the Johnsonville ACL Cornhole Championships. Um, that's day two of Cornhole Mania. That's on uh, ESPN News. We're talking cornhole, like cornhole. throwing a beanbag into a hole? Correct. From a short distance away? You are correct. The game that you can play at numerous breweries around town? That is right. Uh, 10 a.m., the National College Cornhole Championship. Uh, National College Championship doubles. That's on ESPNU because it's college. Okay. Interesting that you can get on television for that. Did you not see uh, when I was watching the prelims for uh, Overeem and Olenek on uh, Saturday? They switched over. You know, they were on. It was on like ESPN two or something, and then it switched over to ESPN plus. And I had this just the kind of TV going, and I looked up, and they were talking about some cornhole, and I was like, "Wait a minute, cornhole analysts?" Yeah. <laughs> well, they were doing cornhole, but before they start, before they started cornhole, they got to talk about cornhole. And you see some of the people. Let's just say some of these guys out there that I saw. They make bowlers look athletic. I was just going to say, who would be like an ESPN cornhole analyst? Like a guy who was in college at LSU for like six years. Took him six years to get his poli-sci degree, but he played a lot of cornhole. You got to get somebody who, first of all, he has that day off from the record store. So like he can come over and do the ESPN commentary. Yeah. Like it doesn't conflict with his work schedule. It's going to be before he goes on shift at the bar where he bartends that night. Yeah, his, his manager at Subway is real flexible, so he's able to come in and do the cornhole commentary. Well, Ben, we maybe we found out what the threshold is here for whether you're going to be on ESPN Plus or you're going to be on ESPN TV. Because if you got Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa, we were all set to put that on television. Then Costa bows out. If I'm not mistaken, we were still going to put Jacare versus Romero on the television. Then Romero gets himself the pneumonia and has to get pulled out. And now you got Jacare versus Jack Hermanson. We think, we're not 100% sure, but we're reasonably confident you're back on the internets. I mean, if I'm Jack, you know, primping and prancing Jack Hermanson, here's where I'm starting to feel like, wait a minute, is it me? Because it seemed like you guys were still down with this on TV right up until I got involved. And then, when I show up, that's when you suddenly decide, no, it's on the internet. Just want to make a note that Wikipedia also informs me that Jack Hermanson's real name is Bernard or Bernhard Hermanson, aka Jack Hermanson. There's a lot of stuff happening here. Why today. does it seem like Jack is one of those names that you can apply as like a nickname to almost anything? Well, at one time or another, it was the only nickname, right? <laughs> Early on in in the his, in human, in history. human history, it was Jack or you know. Bernard. That was basically the only the only ways you could go. Well, 
I'm not even going to start to fact check that one. He's got a three fight win streak, Ben, including uh, that win over the executive branch that he got back in March. First round guillotine choke where he went with that uh, crazy setup and ended up getting Dave Branch. Quick turnaround here for Bernard Hermanson, stepping in against uh, one of the most dangerous middleweights on the planet, Jacare Souza. You know, I would love to know what the preparation is like in the the Jacare camp for that that weirdo guillotine. I was just going to say, you're not getting Jacare Souza with that. I mean, if you do, Jack Bernard Hermanson will send you a sticker and a koozie. We haven't (laughs) even sent those to our Patreon people yet. The they're only, mad? Boy, they're mad. The no, only, they're not really mad. The only way you get him with that is if he and his coaches saw it on TV and they're like, what do you think? Do you guys want to like take five, ten minutes and work on defense for this? And Jacare was like, no. <laughs> I, I don't. Like, I don't see the need, to be honest with you. And then they just brush past it. And then he gets in it and then realizes, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm fucked. Otherwise... This is not the guy you're going to get with a surprise tricky submission. Like no. that's the one. No, 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 no. The, like you might get him with like a surprise tricky punch or something, but you're not going to pull out a submission and and Jack Ray's going to be like, I've never seen this before. Right. No, I I hope that Jack Hermanson is not like, well, I got that set up, so yeah, I'm good. And people haven't seen it since my last fight just a couple weeks ago. It'll be total element of surprise thing. And yet, somebody was asking me in the Twitter mailbag a few weeks ago where they are like, do you think it's a mistake for Jack Hermanson? Like, he, this opening comes up, he's got a certain set of skills, but they maybe match up worse against Jacare than against almost anybody else in the middle eight division. Should he have been like, hey, I'm kind of on a roll here. Maybe let me take some vacation time and wait for a different opportunity to open up. And yet, when you hear that guy talk, you hear Jack Hermanson talk, he doesn't talk like somebody who's just happy to be there. Like I'm he, sure he's planning on winning. He wants he wants to go for the title. He yeah. wants to like climb all the way up. Once he's a champion, everything will be different. That's right. And if you get an opportunity like this, like you know, you beat the executive branch and people are like, "Well, all right. Hey, way to go. Didn't see that one coming necessarily, but uh, good job." And yet still they're not going to be like okay, Jack Hermanson is a serious title contender. Like, they're just not quite there yet. They're not thinking of you there yet. And so when the opportunity comes up to fight somebody like Jacques Array, like, yeah, it's a high-risk fight in the sense that there's a very good chance you will lose this fight because there's a very good chance Jacques Array will beat just about any middleweight out there on any given night. And yet if you don't, if you make, you know, you find some way to, to make it work for you, you win the fight, now you're suddenly in the conversation. They can't keep you out of the conversation then. Like, it's maybe worth it if you're that guy, because how else are you going to very quickly vault yourself into that position? Yeah, I agree with you. It seems like a uh, a risk worth taking if you're Jack Hermanson. At the same time, as you said, if you're Jocka Ray Souza, do you find out the opponent here and you're like, okay, I will take that guy on short notice? Yeah. Just matchup wise? I mean, you you already were into that mode, right? Like you were going to step in, you were going to fight, and then they're like, okay, well... We got a Chris Camozzi volunteered again, but instead we're thinking Jack Hermanson and you're going like, yeah, sure. Why not? I already, I already started working out. <laughs> also on this card, you got Greg Hardy versus Dmitry Smolyankov. The UFC definitely getting in that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Oliveira versus Mike Perry. Glover Tashira versus Ion Kutalaba. John Lineker versus Corey Sandhagen. And then you got Roosevelt Roberts versus Thomas Gifford. That's your your uh, six-fight main card. So uh, some of that shapes up like a thing that they were planning to put on TV. We know they love to put Mike Perry 
on on yeah. TV. So um, and we know that they really think Greg Hardy is them putting their best foot forward for some reason. Just unbelievable, really. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we can get out of here for this week. Ben, uh, what is your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, I was looking through the odds for this one, mm-hmm. right? Now, hear me out. I'm looking at Dmitry Smolikov. He's going off at about plus 260 underdog. Done. Greg Hardy can straight up lose himself some fights, as we saw last time out. I'm just saying, should Greg Hardy beat this guy who the UFC has clearly selected because he seems like he will get beat by Greg Hardy? Yeah. Yes, he should. Then again, Greg Hardy should have beat the last guy who seemed like he was selected because he seemed like somebody who would get beat by Greg Hardy. I'm just saying. Just saying. $20 $20 you never want to see again. I'll take Dmitry Smolyakov sight unseen. <laughs> just give it to me. He's mine. Ben, I'm just saying this week, look down there on the prelims. Andre Arlovsky is fighting on the prelims of this thing. Huh. Seems like a kind of a, a, a weird decision considering you got some arguably lesser known people up there on the main card. However, if this thing is really going down on ESPN+, and Andre Arlovsky is fighting on network TV. Maybe that's not such a bad deal, right? Like, maybe if you're Andre Arlovsky, you landed just where you wanted to. I'm just saying. Just saying. Here in his battle against Augusto Sakai. What are the odds for that one? Are we okay. getting in the Augusto Sakai business? Let's see. Take some of that 165 money. Uh, Augusto Sakai, a slight favorite over Andre Arlovsky. God damn it. Minus 135. I guess I'm staying in the Andre Arlovsky business. I guess Augusto Sakai is a 12-1 and 1-27 year old coming in on a three-fight win streak, including beating Chase Sherman in his last UFC fight. Vanilla Gorilla. Surprised you didn't know that. I'm starting to second guess my decision to install you as matchmaker or as a odds maker in my uh, brand new offshore betting website. I got an old school approach. I go with my gut. <laughs> I you I thought you just you waited to you looked at a, a matchup on paper and you waited to see where in your body a strange tingling feeling happened. You're like, oh, that one's trick elbows asking up. That must be the underdog play. In case you're wondering, I just saw George Mosvidal tweet that his three piece Minnesota t shirts are for sale over there at gamebradofficial.com. The the cycle is complete. Indeed, cycle of life. That's gonna do it for this week's co main event podcast. We will be back next week. Uh, to tell you all of the stuff that happened at this Bellator event and this UFC event, can, can, assuming that we can figure out how to watch the damn thing. And then we, we, we may start to look ahead to uh, Fight Night 150, I Quinta versus Cowboy. Woo. Woo. As for right now, though, we're done. We're through. We're out. Okay, so now that I know that there's doubles like Cornwall on ESPN. Okay, I'll be honest. The ship has sailed for us getting on college point. But senior Wait, do they have any eligibility left? I mean, we could get back into a couple of uh, we could audit a couple classes and maybe get them back on the scene. We want to get these young folks. I'm but thinking we would be that there's some other fuckers out there still getting caught. I think these guys are LeBron James in it from 40 yards away. Just swish. Sound like my 